Hi, I'm Dr. Jackie Fenton, and this is Your Health Matters. This podcast is here to help you learn more about your health and the healthcare system so that you can advocate for what you need. I'm so excited to bring you today's episode. I interviewed my friend, Dr. Rory English, who's a physical therapist. I know him from physical therapy school, and he works with the geriatric population. And I've had some clients, some friends, um, have some misconceptions around the aging process. So I was really excited to talk to Rory about it today, since that's his area um, that he works in, to give you maybe a little bit relief about aging or maybe your parents aging. So without further ado, here is my interview with Rory. Hi everyone, Uh, thanks for tuning in this week to Your Health Matters. I have my friend Rory English here who is a physical therapist and we went to physical therapy school together and I'm so excited to um, have you on the podcast today, Rory. Hey, thanks for having me. This is super cool. Um, so Rory uh, specializes in geriatric care. And so I was excited to um, have him on today because I know that I have um, some listeners that have questions about um, getting older. And so I just thought we'd start with um, what got you into geriatrics? Yeah, it's a great question. Um, certainly, you know, when I, I started on my career path towards physical therapy school, not what I had had in mind. I think you talk to a lot of physical therapists that wind up working in geriatrics. Their story is somewhat similar to mine. Um, so coming from the Philadelphia area, originally, you know, my dream was to be a sports PT with either, you know, the Eagles or the Flyers, right? Taking care of athletes and helping them get back out there on the field. And I went to undergrad at the University of Pittsburgh, did some time working in uh, their sports sites out there under UPMC. Um, on a volunteer basis, came back to Philadelphia at Temple University uh, for my my graduate program uh, with you, right? And kind of in between those experiences, I spent some time working actually full-time as a physical therapy aide in an outpatient clinic. Um, unbeknownst to me at the time, the outpatient clinic really primarily served older adults. And there was one particular case that really struck me as just super meaningful, this older adult um, very active and participatory and, and a huge part of the lives of his family, really just like a true patriarch. And he would come into the clinic on a wellness program. He was really all about physical fitness and, and you know, was really on top of everything and, and aging well. Um, unfortunately, at one point, he had had a freak accident uh, one winter, slipped on the ice, fell and ended up fracturing his neck and was really debilitated for quite some time. And I was fortunate enough to be part of his rehabilitative process and part of his rehab team. And um, it really resonated with me. His goal was to, at the end of the summer, be able to walk his granddaughter down the aisle at her wedding. And that really resonated with me on an emotional level. Um, And he was successful in his goals. He would come in and work so darn hard every day um, with that goal in mind. And there was no better feeling than... um, actually like leading up to that weekend and and getting him to that spot and then seeing the pictures of him being able to do that, it meant so much to him and it meant so much to me. And and that was really what 
flipped my switch of like, well, this is different, right? Um, that emotional connection I had to him in that journey was very different than any connection I'd ever had to an athlete pursuing, you know, athletic goals. And, and I was very fortunate at Temple um, to have some great mentors there um, that only furthered my love for geriatrics and, and doctors, and, and Mary Sinat that really further cemented um, kind of my foundational love for, for taking care of those people. That's awesome. Yeah, I um, I really give it up to because when I did my rotation in uh, skilled nursing, it was really emotionally like difficult for me um, to see people that had. Um, you know, we're doing pretty well. And then all of a sudden not doing so well due to possibly like a stroke or some kind of cardiac issue. And it was really hard for me, I think, because I like saw like, oh, I'm going to have to be there for my parents eventually. And so emotionally, that was just like something really challenging for me. Yeah. I mean, certainly it's not all every day, day in and day out is not the story that, you know, I, I think I painted there that, that switched my, my thinking those are the things that keep you going. Right. I think, um, you're right. There's a lot of extra emotional things that come into working with older adults. I think we're all guilty, right. Of, of failing at times to confront our own mortality, right. And, and aging. And it's this thing that we're uncomfortable with as a society. Um, we don't talk about it a lot. Um, we have a lot of ageist thoughts that we just assume that, as we age, things will get worse. And, you know, being a geriatric physical therapist, one of the things I, I quickly realized from studying the literature and, and a lot of hands-on experience is that those, those things happen, right? We see them all the time. Um, but there's also a heck of a lot of people out there that are in control, right? And, and steering the ship of how they're aging. And those are the stories that, you know, in my career, we really aim to, to tell, right? And, and provide the access to the good news stories, right? The people who are in charge of, of how things are going and in control and making the right healthy choices and decisions to age well and, and kind of live better longer, right? Yeah, hundred percent. Yeah. So my parents, I guess my mom's six is my mom sixty-eight now? And my dad's sixty-seven. And so um yeah, for them, like I, I feel like it's the same as when I was a kid. Like they keep up with it. Like we just went on a hike yesterday and like my dad is like trying to beat my brother and I up the hill. So like, (laughs) so I, I totally agree. I think that, um, there, and I've talked to other older adults though, that have this impression that as they age, that means that they can't do the things that they used to love doing. And I agree that I think society put this put this like notion out there that like, as you age, that means like you can't do things anymore, which is just not true. (laughs) Yeah. Right. You think about, you know, stereotypical depiction of an older adult, um, sitting in their chair all day, not leading an active lifestyle, um, and being relegated kind of to the, the back of society, not an active participant kind of passively just passing along the days. As a society, we focus so much on adding years to life, right? But haven't really focused much on our ability to add quality to those years. Like if we're going to live a longer life, shouldn't they be good years, right? 
Um, and our job as PTs is really to help people figure out how we can make that a reality, right? And through strength and cardiovascular and balanced training, it's a reality. I see it every day. Um, people who are proactive, you know, and, and it didn't just start once they turned 65, right? It, you know, stories like your mom and dad of being active throughout their entire lives, like that will be what sets them up to age well and to, to live, you know, and be functionally well and functionally healthy as well as medically healthy, right? Like they're two domains that, you know, focus so much on the medical wellness, the functional wellness is just as important because you can be healthy as an ox, but functionally you can't do anything for yourself. Right. Um, and vice versa. Our goal is to really kind of be, take care of both. Set that precedent. You gotta, you know, tell the stories of the people who are doing it the right way, the media and, and the stories we all read oftentimes, like you said, are, are filled with things not going right. And they certainly happen. Right. But, um, more often than not, I think too, it's really important to highlight the, the folks that are doing things the right way and, and able to live into their 90s and, and whatnot and, and do the things they want to do when they're 90. They want to be able to play with their grandkids or, um, you know, walk their granddaughter down the aisle, play with their great grandkids. I think that's so important. Yeah. Um, so in when you're doing physical therapy with um, the geriatric population, um, what kinds of things do you feel like you focus on? Do you feel like it's any different than working with like a younger population? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so like the core principles, a lot of it is the same, right? We're still human beings. We still, um, our muscular system and, and really in our balance system and our pain systems all function the same way. Um, are there changes in the way our bodies operate and work as we age? Absolutely. Are there certain changes that are going to happen no matter what we do? Absolutely. At that point, then, you know, as PTs, we have to figure out compensations, right? From a functional capability, how do we adapt to those changes and, and you know, do the best we can with what we have, right? Um, so the research has been really great to see that the strength training principles that exist for us, you know, together here in our, our mid-30s, um, they're the same, whether we're, you know, 15 or 35 or 75, 85, 95, right? Um, you have to load the muscles and, and will lead to strength gains, right? But most importantly, they need to be, it needs to be a functional activity. It needs to be a functional loading, focusing more so usually on functional muscle groups, um, that will really help convert things into meaningful change, um, and it's interesting, right? Like no two older adults are the same. I know um, people have different goals and different presentations where you can treat someone who's 75 and, and you know, has tennis elbow, a pretty common thing you'd see in a 35-year-old in an outpatient ortho clinic, right? And you can also see a patient who's 75 and having a hard time walking, right? Um, and, and what muscle groups do we need to focus on to improve their strength and their ability to, you know, create power? to improve their transfers and their ambulation and decrease the risk of falls. Um, so the core principles in which we have, um, in which we operate are the same. Uh, activities may differ a little bit, right? We may not necessarily start out with like power lifting moves that maybe at a high level athlete we would, right? To improve those, those big muscle groups that would improve our power generation around our hips, right? To create a moment to help us stand up. 
Um, but we can kind of take those, those movements, those complex movements and break them down, right? Um, there's a really great trend now in, in the world of geriatric physical therapy. And it's one that really needs to continue to perpetuate. It's just like not treating them any differently, right? We need to not be afraid that we're going to overtax them or work them too hard. We need to challenge these people. They can be challenged, right? Um, we're doctorate level professionals for a reason. So as long as we're safely monitoring their vital signs and, you know, um, making good differential diagnoses of what's going on, we can challenge them like we could anybody else. And, you know, the, I've seen more and more the use of plyometric training, the use of kettlebells in training to really promote that functional strength gain. Um, and, uh, you know, the same goes for balance training and, and things like that. Um, so yeah, at its core, it's very similar. Some of the methodologies you may employ to get there might be a little bit different, or you know, you may have to break down a complex movement into pieces or patterns to start. And the other thing too, like with the, the, the group of individuals who are in this demographic now are different, right? Than the people we're gonna see in five, 10 years. Um, my colleague and I actually just put together a presentation this week, we, we presented it on technology in older adults. And, and you think about the silver tsunami that's coming, and especially over the last year with COVID, the integration of technology into all of our lives. What does that mean of how we engage our older adults? Right? And the level of tech savvy is different, certainly from person to person, but even within a generation, within a few years, you can see wide, wide swings in ways that you can meaningfully engage someone. So the people that we're engaging right now, by and large, um, you know, who are 75, 85 years old, they didn't go to the gym to, right. to work out, right? Like, yeah. so if you tell someone like, oh, we're going to do squats today, they're going to look at you like you're crazy. Like, what, what are we doing squats for? But that's not to say that they weren't physically fit, right? So they got their, their activity and their functional strength came from a lot of tasks, like manual tasks around the home, right? Around the house, the things that you know, we have technology now that make us all kind of lazy and we take for granted that had to be done manually then. And, and also the type of work people would do outside the house even, right? Um, that was where that strength was honed and maintained in their lifetime. So um, finding things that are meaningful to your patient that will engage them towards the goals that they themselves want to achieve, right? Like you just tell someone we're going to do squats to have stronger glutes. That doesn't mean anything. Why do you need stronger glutes? Well, you need stronger glutes so that you can safely get out of your chair, you know, and, and feel more secure in watching your grandchild, you know, right? Things that are meaningful right. um, to, to that individual are so important. So um, meeting people where they're at, right? There's the soft skills of what we do as clinicians are so important. Um, I would venture to say sometimes even more important than technical knowledge, um, physiology and the anatomy of what's in the body. Yeah, I absolutely agree. Because I feel like if you can't listen to your patient, because sometimes <clears throat> you have to read between the lines of what they actually want to get out of physical therapy, because people yeah. can come, whether whether our age or, or the older adult population, um, sometimes like the goals that we have aren't aren't something that we can clearly state. So we have to be in a space that we can actually listen and ask questions to really get to what they want to get out of therapy. Yeah. Right. And it's no different than like I was talking about with the, 
you know, starting out with complex, like Olympic, Olympic lifting techniques, right? You think of like the clean and the power clean or the clean and the jerk, right? You're taking that and breaking it down. It's the same thing we're doing with taking someone's history of like, okay, why are you here? What, what do you want to get out of this? Maybe this big task of something like walking somebody down the aisle at their wedding, right? But you have to break it down into, okay, what's that mean? Well, they need to be able to ambulate about at least 25 feet um, on an uneven grassy surface, right? And you need to be like, okay, so we need enough ankle dorsiflexion and knee flexion and static and dynamic balance. There's going to be some lateral weight shifting in there. And you kind of have to take this big picture and take it apart and then be able to put it all back together um, without confusing the hell out of your patient in the process, right? Like, <laughs> you know, like breaking it down into tasks that's meaningful to them still even at those, those smaller scales. Yeah. Hundred percent. Yeah, because otherwise there's no buy-in, and there's there's no way that they're gonna follow through on. Sorry, hold on one second. I'm gonna definitely cut that out. <laughs> our our sitter just got here, so he's like, he's been nice. with like grandparents so much and like us so much that I think he's like, what the hell? <laughs> Elliot like yelled at the same time. That's funny. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I couldn't tell if that was me or you at first. I was yeah. like, uh-oh. Yeah. Nope, that's, that's James having a... It's funny. He, like, sometimes he transitions really well, and then other times, like, uh, transitioning is really just not easy. Um, I'm right there with him. <laughs> yeah. Okay. I think we're good. I think we're good. Um, oh, my God. So now I totally lost my train of thought. Uh <sighs> I'm talking about like uh, things that were meaningful. Oh yeah. So if, if people don't, yeah, if people don't have um, meaningful goals, then there's just no buy-in and there's no way that um, they're going to continue to do, you know, sit to stands at home or, or, or do the squats. Yeah. Right. Right. Exactly. Yeah. The consistency is key there and you only get that with buy-in. Right. To be yeah, because the thing is, is that, and I think this is, again, this is for everyone, is that we want change to happen so quickly. And and especially when we were at a certain level before, and then all of a sudden, like some traumatic incident happens, and the, and the level is like way lower than how we used to like move throughout our lives. It is incredibly frustrating and feels like, oh my God, this, like doing this sit to stand, it seems so stupid. How's it going to help me like keep moving forward? Yeah, absolutely. And you know, that psychological aspect of that is, is huge. Like knowing your patients or, or your family members, right. And, and how, how do you motivate them? It's super important. How do you keep them engaged? And, um, you know, the loss of function is a tough thing to navigate, right? Like people will mourn it like the loss of a loved one. Right. If, especially if it, if it appears random, right. Um, boom, all of a sudden things change in the blink of an eye, whether it's an accident or a CDA or an MI. Um, it's a really tough thing to navigate the emotional components of it, but it's certainly a, it's a large part of it. And building that consistency and rapport with the patient and their family is so important to be able to connect with them. And that's, that's one of the great things about, you know, working with older adults, getting to know their story and learning so much from them, uh, from their lives, from their kids, from their grandkids, um, from them themselves. Um, 
it's, it's such a gift to be able to spend that time with them and, and help them get to where they want to be. Yeah. Especially cause like a lot of them have grown up in, in such a different time than we have. So we really get to reflect on the way that they think about the world, which is just very different than how, how the world is right now, which is super interesting. Yeah, absolutely. The experiences, right. Um, that you encounter and you get to get to hear the stories from, from yesteryear, right. Uh, it was, this world has changed so much and so quickly. And I think we lose sight of that so often. Um, taking the time to slow down and listen to people and, and listen to their story and their value. Right. You think about too, you know, the implications on someone's own mental health that society has put forth in regards to aging, right. You're kind of relegated to the back. You don't have as loud of a voice. Um, you know, you're not expected to contribute as much, right? You think about um, somebody who's the matriarch or patriarch of a family, and then those, they lose those roles due to the loss of function. What impact does that have on their psychological well-being, right? Uh, there's a lot of depression and anxiety out there. Um, so being able to recognize, listen, support, and build back up that self-esteem, um, you know, and referring out to the proper professionals to help with things, um, around the topics of mental health, right? Even generationally now, this, this group of older adults that we're working with, depression, anxiety, those things weren't talked about, right? So um, being able to overcome those barriers and be like, hey, it's okay, these things are, are they're common, right? And there's a lot of great tools and resources out there that we can use to get through this together. Um, but just listening to them, giving them your time and uh, really focusing on where they're at does a lot for someone's self-worth if someone takes the time to sit down. Like that's what I love about what I do. You know, the model I practice in is an outpatient on wheels model where we're with our patients one-on-one for an hour. Right. And you get to, you don't have an outpatient clinic where you have four patients coming in an hour, you get one-on-one time with each person that you're working with. And it allows you just really to take in the whole person, which is great from a psychological component, right? And, and like I said here, you know, really listening and sharing the time, sharing the stories and, and learning more about these people and their experiences and what's meaningful to them. But also, right, from a, from a technical standpoint, my average patient's like 83 years old and is on, you know, seven to 10 different medications and has, you know, six to 12 di- different diagnoses, right, going on. And, um, that's a lot to manage at any point in time. Every intervention that we employ when we're challenging them, especially um, you have to account for those things. So being able to give them your full clinical attention is super important just to make sure that you're, you're challenging them enough, number one, and then, you know, kind of finding that sweet spot of where it's enough challenge that you're really getting their rate of perceived exertion, heart rate, and things like blood pressure, that, that zone that you want to deliver the physiological change. Um, but then not overtaxing them where you would have an adverse event, right? So like kind of being available to feel that all out is really important. Yeah. Yeah. It's uh, there's a lot of balls moving. <laughs> yeah, and, yeah. Yeah. A lot of balls moving. Um, so Rory, what do you want um, people that are, you know, our age or caring for their, for their parents or their grandparents, what would you want them mm-hmm. to know about like the geriatric population? That's a great question. Um, I would say like globally, they can do more than you think, right? Um, 
oftentimes I, I encounter things that the loss of function is interesting. If, if the people, people assert themselves and make, make up their minds about what people can and can't do, and it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. Like, oh, you're taking too long to um, make lunch. Let me just make lunch for you, right? And then in a rather short amount of time, that person will lose the ability to make lunch for themselves because you're asserting yourself and just doing it for them, right? It's so important that we allow folks to do as long as it's safe, right? Like I'm not saying, you know, that they, that an older adult should be walking up and down the stairs by themselves with no one home. Um, if they have a history of falls and, and are, have, you know, weakness in their lower extremity. But what I'm saying is like giving them the proper supports and getting the heck out of their way and letting them do it. If it takes a little longer, that's okay. Like the, therapy and the therapeutic aspect of what they're doing is in the doing it's not in the end result right um so really working together and, and there's no black and white there right um if you're unsure of what's appropriate what's safe what's not consult somebody reach out there's a lot of great minds out there in the therapy space that can come out and help you and what we're seeing in healthcare is that things are starting to finally become um more proactive right Fortunately, you know, my grandparents and um, I hope no one else really has to go through this, but healthcare was really reactive for them, right? They would have a fall and then they would get therapy. They'd be hospitalized and then they'd get therapy, which works, right? Like we're rehab professionals. That's why that title exists. Um, but the idea of being proactive and maintaining strength before something bad happens, we're a hell of a lot more effective at our job that way rather than playing catch up dealing with all these other things going on after someone's coming out of the hospital. So there doesn't need to be something bad that happens, right? Like I suggest finding, just like you have your dentist, finding your physical therapist or your mom and dad, someone that connects with them, that they enjoy spending time with, that listens to them, listens to them too, right? right? If you're the, if you're the child of an older adult parent, that therapist should be listening to your mom or dad, not to you, right? Unless there's some serious communication challenges, right? They should really be listening to what your mom or dad has to say, not entirely what you have to say. Uh, right? Yeah, I feel like uh, <laughs> I feel like if you have serious worries about your parent or something, it's uh, physical therapy is not your as as like the kid is not your place to go get your worries out. If you need to do that, you can go to therapy and get your yes. worries out. Yeah. Without. About which it's 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 obviously there, and there's nothing wrong with being like worried yeah. about like your family. Um, but I do think, like you were saying, it's like kind of a self-fulfilling prophecy. If you continue to be worried about them all the time, then you're going to take things away from them that they can't yeah. continue to have like their independence. So I think that that's a really important point. <laughs> you're walking a fine line, right? Like you don't want you know, the worrying, generally speaking, it comes from such a good place, uh, right. such a supportive place, wanting to help your, your, your mom or your dad or whoever you're caring for. Um, but it can actually cause harm, which I know no one ever wants. So um, that's where really reaching out for help, right? Um, finding some local support groups that, that are, will connect you with people, whether in person or digitally, right? Um, that are going through something similar to you, especially in this pandemic, right? Like we're seeing fewer and fewer people at, over the last year moving into senior living just because of the concerns around, around safety and just wanting to isolate with their, with their loved ones. 
and the the burnout, right? The caregiver burnout we're seeing in, in folks, the unpaid caregivers caring for their mom, dad, aunt, uncle, whatever it be. Um, it's so important to be able to talk to other people that are going through something similar um, and finding help. There are a lot of amazing senior living communities out there that are really taking really good care of our older adults and helping them socialize, helping them stay strong and healthy and active and uh, both physically and mentally stimulating. So, um, yeah, it's, I, I would say like knowing when to, to reach out and, and engage additional, additional support when you're concerned. Because if you're just worried and you're doing things for somebody, that's only going to get worse. You're not really doing anything to, to fix the problem at hand. Maybe they are unsafe, right? And naturally you want to assert yourself, but then we can fix it, right? Like, I think that is the other key piece. Of this isn't a death sentence. Just because people are having a functional decline, regardless of your age, you can make improvements. You can get stronger, improve your balance. You can decrease pain, um, improve your cardiovascular stamina and reserve. Um, just because it's going that way doesn't mean we can't reverse it. Just like we would, you know, for for ourselves or, or, or our children, right? Like we take those steps to intervene. It's so important that we address the root cause. Right. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> I just have to say <laughs> yes to that. Um, yeah. Okay. I'm going to switch. I'm going to switch gears on you a little bit and ask you uh, about uh, Medicare and just kind sure. of your. I don't know. Well, let's start real broad. What's your experience with, with the working with Medicare? It's challenging, right? I think it's a, at its core, it's a good system that really is a nice safety net for our older adults. Right. I think like that friend that means well, right. Um, but maybe that is how they carry themselves. Isn't the best way we would agree to go about it, uh, to go about things, you know, globally, there's a lot of benefit. There's a lot of good, um, things that happen, in, in that world. Um, there's also some, some things that make it challenging, right? Um, unfortunately, historically, there's been a lot of fraud in the Medicare space that has negative implications on providers and patients alike, right? Where we have to make rules and regulations and, and changes to the system to protect people, right? That have an unintended consequence of de-incentivizing providers to deliver good care. Um, you know, it's it's really interesting as we, we look ahead in the world of Medicare, um, a lot of movement towards value-based care, which is super important. I think, you know, it, it makes a lot of sense, right, that you would be paid not just on your time, spending time with a patient, um, but to be paid based off of what you're delivering, the outcomes, right? How are you doing to, what are you doing to save money for the healthcare system and have your patient better? Out of you know, stay out of the hospital, stay healthy, stay well, and aged in their lives, um, in their life roles, I should say, um, for longer. So, I think things are moving in the right direction. Um, there's going to be, I'm sure, you know, there's always things, unintended consequences with anything that large, right? That come along that that kind of catch you off guard. You know, over the last couple of years, the things that have been really challenging with Medicare is changes in the reimbursement schedule or the, the payment schedule, um, you know, consistently delivering the same good quality outcomes, but getting paid less and less for them as a provider. Um, it's certainly been a challenge, right? Um, working in operations in the practice I work for, um, that has been a challenge we've had to plan for and plan around multiple times over the last 10 to 15 years. Um, and usually those changes in decreasing reimbursement 
are because, you know, a couple people ruin it for everybody, right? Like, um, and, and that's a real shame. So I think moving towards value-based care and being paid based off of the outcomes you deliver as a practicing clinician, I think will hopefully help solve those things. Um, but yeah, as a whole, you know, Medicare, I think is a good thing. And I, I think it's kind of in the, the phase of it where we're trying to tune it, fine tune it and figure out what works. Um, and specifically, I should clarify, I work in the space of, of Medicare Part B, which is outpatient services, right? There's also a component of, of Medicare called Medicare Part A, which deals with hospital stays, skilled nursing stays, home health stays. Um, and, and there's been a lot of changes and upheaval in the way that, you know, payment and coverage has existed in that space as well in the last years. As well. I think, you know, because it's a government-run system, it's tied towards the political ecosystem which has been tumultuous to say the least over the last 15 to 20 years, you know, it would only make sense that that would be the same. Yeah. Yeah, it is. Um, I mean, I think Medicare is, is really important. And I think that as a clinician, like there's always going to be things about insurance that I'm not going to like, yep. <laughs> like that's just going to be, that's just going to be the, the fact of it. Um, but I think, I don't know. I think like as clinicians, like that's why we like try to advocate for ourselves. But I think even bigger than that, like we kind of need patients to also advocate for these services in a way too, to like our, our politicians being like these, these services have really helped me. Um, Cause otherwise they're not going to know. It's just going to be us saying that. Right. Yeah. That's a huge part of it. Right. So um, telling that story and, and getting that information, telling the good stories, right? I think we kind of started off with that theme in the beginning here of, of what therapy can really do for an older adult. Um, it's so important. Finding objective third-party data about the benefits of the services we offer. We know it works. Really quantifying how and why it works is so important. And, you know, Sometimes we fall short of that. That's not easy data to capture. Um, the practice I work with, Fox Rehab, has done a really good job of trying to tell that story um, so we actually worked with in the last two years, Optum, um, which is a Medicare entity that really is able, it's a Medicare qualified entity, I believe is the proper phrasing. Um, and they're able to compare our outcomes as a practice to similar other outpatient providers, right? And, and really compare us versus other people who kind of do what we do in our space on similar patients, you know, so there's a risk adjustment for clinical complexity of the cases we're caring for and really using that data and telling the story to, you know, partners and, and Congress people and our patients of like, Hey, look, when we, when we at Fox, one of one of our clinicians touch an older adult, generally speaking, we save a, almost nine and a half percent downstream and additional medical costs within the next year. Crazy, right? You know, most hospital systems and ACOs are looking for like a one to two percent change in cost savings, and we're delivering nine point almost five, but nine point four percent cost savings one year downstream, which is so cool. Um, it was kind of scary going to it. We took a we took them our data and said, okay, we think we're doing pretty good. How are we doing? You tell us. And and really, like the the cost savings lied in the fact that people were not getting hospitalized and we're having that injurious fall because we were proactive under Medicare part B, you can be proactive. Um, under Medicare part A, not as much, you know, there are rules and regulations that really require something acute to be occurring within um, 
within your within your health to be addressed in Medicare Part A, whether it's a hospitalization, or even home health episode. Um, so yeah, we we generally speaking, you know, our ninety day readmission rate was was forty one percent less, right, per one hundred thousand wow. lives. So um, it was pretty cool, like the space in which we practice. It's a niche practice treating only older adults in their home under Medicare Part B. Not a lot of people do that, right? So there's a great opportunity in regards to access to care, right? Think about all the reasons why a brick and mortar outpatient clinic might be hard for an older adult to be engaged at, right? All the things we've talked about already, that one-on-one focus is really important. Um, maybe folks, you know, as they age may or may not be able to, to get out of the house as easily or as well, but wouldn't necessarily be as appropriate for that traditional Medicare Part A home health episode. Um, we kind of bring the outpatient ortho gym to them in their home and meet them where they're at. Um, so yeah, it, that, that story is so important and using those numbers, we myself personally haven't spoken to multiple representatives and Congress people on behalf of the work that we do as therapists and specific to our practice. Um, those objective stats really open people's eyes. Like, Holy crap. This is what you're doing. Like, how are you not shouting it from the rooftops? Well, we are and we have been, um, but getting the patients to tell these stories as well is so important. So over the last few years with the you know, proposed payment cuts from Medicare, we've always really encouraged each and every one of our patients to contact our local representatives and say, hey, look, um, if you keep cutting this payment, it's going to result in a challenge to the access to this care, which I think is already challenged, to be fair, right? Like right. Um, there's so many older adults Population's only growing exponentially at this point. Um, access to care should be our number one priority. Right. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's super amazing that you guys have those that data and those stats because that really, I mean, that's huge saving that much. And like yeah. also like not only costs, but like the quality of life of, of there is just like so much better like so much better. hundred percent. Yeah. That, that is like, as a PT myself, that's what really, you're absolutely right. That's what I focus in on. Right. Um, when you're talking to, you know, Congress and, and the people that are really dollars driven, right. Since they have to balance the budget and all those things in regards to, um, the changes that they make to these types of programs, but you're right as a, as a clinician, right. That means, you know, you're spending your, your patients are spending more time at home in their own beds their own environment. We all know too, that when someone engages a hospital system, unfortunately, there are other unintended consequences that can come with it, whether it's a secondary infection. Think about it too. When you go to the hospital, what's the first thing they do usually? Put you in a bed, right? Right. And all this stuff happens around you, but you're not up and moving, right? Now in certain cases, don't get me wrong, that's appropriate and safe, but more often than not, you know, we, our older adults particularly are vulnerable to time spent in bed. And if they are, you know, spending that time in bed, they lose a considerable amount of their muscle mass and their functional ability for every day they spend in bed. Unfortunately, it goes away a lot faster than it comes back, that strength and that functional capacity. So um, the more time we can keep people out of the hospital or out of overall health and well-being and yeah. it saves a couple bucks for the healthcare system. Yeah, for sure. For sure. 
Okay, Rory, I have one more question for you and then we'll then we'll wrap it up. Um, so I ask I ask everyone that comes on that's a healthcare provider, um, what is uh I'll, we'll just keep it down to one thing. What is one thing that you would like to see uh changed in, in healthcare? One thing I'd like to have changed in healthcare. That's a great question. Hmm. Hard to pick one, right? Um <laughs> I would say, you know, on the topic of aging and, and um, you know, I, I get my patients come to me later in their lives, right? That's what I do. That's my specialty of helping folks age effectively and, and successfully. Um, really incentivizing, I think, from a payer source standpoint, whether it's, you know, Medicare or all the health insurers out there doing a better job of sharing risk with patients and helping patients understand the importance of preventative wellness and that, you know, we're all aging and a lot of the things that we encounter early in our aging journey are oftentimes preventable with better education and access to care. So as payers, I think it's an important responsibility that there should be some more robust infrastructure around education and incentivization of choosing healthy lifestyles, whether it's, you know, education and access to healthier foods, um, education and access to the ability to safely exercise, right? Um, and, and what that means for everybody is going to be a little different depending on where they're at. But really um, shining the light there in healthcare, I think is important, right? I think globally that's where we need to really change the way we look at things. We're so reactive and, and we need to be a little bit more proactive. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. That's definitely like my, <laughs> so I think it's like all of us as physical therapists stance, like, please, please be proactive. Please, please move. Please move yeah. all the time. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, the movement's key, right? Like the example of your parents is one that, that resonates with me of just like, they're laying the foundation for their eighties and nineties right now. Right. And the fact that they're, they have uh, good healthy habits and are aware of the importance of movement and, and they do it in a way that's stimulating and fun and engaging for them. Right. Like I'm not saying you need to go and do something you hate for an hour every day, find a way to make it work for you. Right. Um, and that will really help set the foundation for, for your aging journey. Really. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thanks Rory so much for taking time out of your day to chat with me. Um, it's great to hear how you work in geriatrics and your feelings on it. It's, and it's just great to talk to you. My pleasure. Great to catch up. Good to see you. Thanks, Rory. Thank you so much for listening to another episode of Your Health Matters. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave a review. And to learn more from me, follow me on Instagram at Dr. Jackie Fenton. I look forward to chatting with you next week.